BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carlene Higgins. Hey there, Carlene. Hello, Jill. So welcome back to our show, everybody. As you know, by now, probably we are two beauty editors turned podcasters. And if you're a regular listener, you know that we like to get really, I would say a bit nerdy on this show. (laughs) And we go like bottom of the ocean deep on a topic on occasion. And one of those topics that I personally feel like I'm just never done learning about is sunscreen. Agree. And we know, of course, that a daily broad spectrum SPF 30 is what dermatologists always say is the number one way to prevent premature skin aging. I know I worship at that church. But what happens when you find out that the sunscreen that you trust, that you spent so much time seeking out before making it to your top shelf, doesn't actually live up to the protection that it claims on the label? No idea. That's why we've invited Dr. Michelle Wong, better known on the internet as Lab Muffin Beauty Science, to break down a lot of the recent headlines we've been seeing on this topic today. And Michelle is a content creator and a science educator. She has a PhD in chemistry and is based in Sydney, Australia. So she started Lab Muffin about 10 years ago now. And I think her whole impetus for starting it was that she was frustrated that there were all these beauty blogs out there, but they didn't really give great, easy to understand explanations of the science behind beauty products. So she really filled that niche, I think. Yeah. And in addition to her YouTube blog and Instagram content, Michelle recently partnered with the Australian media outlet Adore Beauty on a 12-part podcast series called Skincare School. So be sure to check out her show wherever you listen to podcasts as well. And speaking of headlines, Carlene, I just wanted to clear one thing up before we get into today's episode. A few weeks back now, I was really excited because I read that the TSA, which is the body that governs travel in the United States, they had issued a statement on their website, so very official, that they were going to start allowing people to carry on full-size sunscreens. So sunscreens Mm. that were greater than 3.4 ounces or 100 milliliters. So obviously I saw this all over social media. I saw it on all the big websites and I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing for people to go on holiday and it's, you won't have to, you know, check your bag. And then it was widely reported as well. And then I saw actually they walked back and they Mm. said they've issued another statement on their website that said, 
our website incorrectly reported that sunscreen containers larger than 3.4 ounces are allowed in carry-on bags. So, yeah, so actually you're back sort of at square one, which means you got to make sure everything fits in that 3.4 ounce bag if you want to carry it on. I just want to tell people so they don't end up getting their very expensive sunscreen that they thought they could carry on. Yeah. Taking it thrown out. <laughs> yeah. And people are traveling again. I'm seeing yes. so many bikini pictures on Instagram. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Live their best life. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, back to our guest. And in today's episode, we're going to break down Purito Gate and Crave Gate, as it were. And we're also going to get some helpful tips on finding not only a lovely texture sunscreen that isn't greasy or chalky and doesn't mess with your makeup, but one that you can trust to actually not get burned. Mm-hmm. That's right. She's going to name some specific brands that she trusts too. Plus, Michelle's going to let us know a few of the ways that we could be sabotaging the strength of our SPF ourselves. Gwyneth, we're looking at you with some helpful tips on how to actually boost efficacy and the best way to reapply. And as always, everything that we mentioned today, whether it's studies or products, we will link to that over on our blog at breakingbeautypodcast.com. So here we go. Welcome, Michelle Wong, aka Lab Muffin. Hello, hello. Busting in on our chat today with some late-breaking beauty news, courtesy of our friends at Function of Beauty. Okay, so I don't know how many of you have joined our private Facebook chat room. It's the best. It's where listeners trade real-life beauty secrets and recommendations. And recently, one listener posted a question wanting to know the best shampoo and conditioner for oily roots and dry ends. I had my hand up. I was like, it's me. So I had to update you guys to let you know that I recently tried a solution that totally worked for me. My hair is now fluffy and soft from root to tip. There's zero residue and no greasy roots, which is perfect because I only like to wash my hair twice a week. It's a custom shampoo and conditioner that I created with Function of Beauty and you can do it too. Function of Beauty knows what they're doing when it comes to customizable beauty, creating exact formulas personalized to your specific hair needs because we're all so unique. It's super easy. You just go to their website and click through a simple quiz, letting them know about your hair type, your hair goals, whether you want to get more volume, more oil control, protect your hair color. And that's the sauce. You get to choose more than one hair goal. Then there's the fun part. You can even personalize what color you want your formulas to be, minor mint, green, and pink, how you want it to smell or not smell at all. You can even choose whether you want silicones or not. How genius is that? And you can even put your name on the bottles. So mine, of course, says Breaking Beauty Pod on them. And even though there are something like 54 trillion possible formulations, they do have a few things in common. They don't contain sulfates or parabens, and they're all vegan and cruelty-free. So here's an exclusive offer for Breaking Beauty listeners. Never buy off the shelf just to be disappointed ever again. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash breakingbeauty to take your quiz and save 20% off on your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash breakingbeauty to let them know we sent you and to get 20% off your order. We'll link to that offer on our blog and in our show notes. Functionofbeauty.com slash breakingbeauty. As a parent, do you ever wish someone could just whisper some realistic and trustworthy support in your ear and not make you feel awful for not having all the answers? Well, that's what I'm here for. 
I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, developmental psychologist, parent educator, clinical professor, and I'm a mom. My goal is to make your parenting journey less overwhelming and a lot more joyful. Please join me every Friday for new episodes of Raising Good Humans. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us today. There's been lots of sunscreen news in the headlines lately. At the end of last year, we had the Pareto debacle, aka Pareto Gate. Of course, they're a beloved Korean sunscreen and it was exposed for not living up to the claims on its label. I think the label says it's SPF 50 and in reality, it proved in a lab to only be SPF 19. It left a lot of people upset and confused. And then more recently, Crave Beauty just announced that it was pulling its cult favorite beet shield antioxidant rich day fluid. I'm saying that in quotes because there's no SPF in the name. And so we wanted to get your expert take to unpack like what is the problem that's going on here in this moment? Because we have some trust issues with sunscreen now. So it seems like there's two related problems um, going on. The first one, which I've talked about before, is just that SPF testing is really tricky. It's just, yeah, you can't get very consistent ratings from a single sunscreen if you test it in different labs, if you test it in different countries. And part of this is because we still test it on human beings. We still test it on usually about 10 volunteers. We put it on skin and then we burn them for science. Um, we see how long it takes for them to start burning, which is how we get the SPF number. So the SPF number is how much UV it takes to start burning versus how much UV bare skin takes to start burning. So these numbers have been really annoying for a long time because they're inconsistent. Plus, you have to burn actual people, which ethically, eh. <laughs> they do volunteer and they're often paid. but. Still, it's, you know, it's sunburn, it's potential skin cancer. So there are new uh, methods being developed at the moment, particularly in Europe. There's a new in vitro method where they put it on a plate, a special plate, and they test it in a special way. And that seems to give consistent results. At the moment, it hasn't been recognized as a standard SPF test yet, but that is very close to being done. So hopefully once that's done, then it will be a lot cheaper to consistently test sunscreens more regularly and to get more consistent numbers. So one of the reasons that brands don't test sunscreens that much is because it is expensive. Hiring 10 people to get burnt is not really a cheap thing to do. Whereas if you're just putting on a plate, it's going to be a lot cheaper. So hopefully once that's also done, then we get more robust readings. This sort of inconsistency in sunscreen, it's not really limited to Korean or Asian brands. It's been happening for a long time. And I think the reason why everyone blew up at Pareto Gate is because before this, people didn't really know about these inconsistent readings. Um, they were mostly done by consumer groups. Um, they're those like not very sexy consumer magazines who like test mattresses with uh, bowling balls and whatever. <laughs> and I think, yeah, because Pareto was such a big brand on social media, that's why it got all the attention. But yeah, there's been lots of brands failing these tests for many years. Consumer Reports in the US always puts out a giant list and there's always big brands on it. So Neutrogena, La Roche-Posay, both have been on that list. In the Asian ones, Shiseido's been on that list. To just clarify, you're saying that they were on that list because they did not live up to yes. their SPF that was indicated on the label. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So 
it happens to big brands as well. And I don't think mm-hmm. any of us can say that these big brands don't invest enough in sunscreen. They're mm-hmm. some of the market leaders. They have the best technology and it's still happening. So yeah, that's reason one. Reason two, which I found out recently, thanks to a blogger who works in, um, I think it's beauty marketing in Korea, Ajil Manod. I probably pronounced her name wrong. I'm so sorry. Um, She recently released a video, I think it was maybe two or three days ago. And it's actually on something very specific to Korea's sunscreens. So there is a little loophole. I'm hopefully explaining this correctly. There is a loophole where if a sunscreen manufacturer has tested their product before and you got in a good SPF rating, they're actually allowed to tweak it in small ways without retesting the sunscreen, which to me as an Australian where um, sunscreen is so strictly regulated is just kind of amazing that they're allowed to do this. If you look at how sunscreens are formulated, they're a massive pain to formulate. It takes months and months and months to like even adapt a sunscreen to get a higher rating. So the fact that they're allowed to make tweaks to the sunscreen formula, that can massively mess up SPF. And I'm starting to think that is actually more of a contributing factor to why it's Korean sunscreens in particular. She has a list of things to look out for in a Korean sunscreen that might not have as much of an issue where they have less possibility of tweaking the formula. But yeah, basically tweaking the formula is bad. And somehow there is a loophole in Korea where they're allowed to do that. And hopefully they're going to start closing that soon. I did watch your YouTube response at the end of last year, Michelle, to the whole Purito situation. It was so in-depth. And I felt like you brought up a really good point that's not talked about a lot, which is that many sunscreen manufacturers for Western parts of the world, they often are manufacturing sunscreen with that consumer in mind, aka everyone I know they just grab sunscreen off the shelf when they're going on a beach holiday or when they know that they're going to be outside all weekend, like very intense exposure. So therefore the manufacturers kind of, you know, manufacture formulas that are really going to stay on and they, a lot of different filters and things like that. Whereas in Korea, as you say, it's more of like a daily habit. So therefore, you know, that results in if people are using a Korean sunscreen in the Western countries like they normally do on beach holidays and stuff, it may not hold up as well as they're used to. So maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit. In Asia, people have been wearing sunscreen daily for decades. It's one of those things that you get taught. Like I was told this by my mom when I was a kid as well, like just wear sunscreen every day. Not that I did, but (laughs) it was a thing. And yeah, so sunscreen manufacturers like or any beauty brand, they're going to release products according to the market, especially in the US where there is this liability issue where people can be sued if the product doesn't work properly. And this can even be like products that are perfectly fine and people have just used them wrong. I think we've seen many examples of these sorts of lawsuits, not just in beauty. So yeah, manufacturers are going to make sunscreens that fit their population and fit the way they use sunscreens. So La Roche-Posay, for example, French sunscreen brand, they have extremely high SPF ratings because they know that French people, they're very pale and they tend to go to the beach massively and stay out once a year where they will get a stupid amount of sunburn if they're not using a really high protection sunscreen. So almost all French sunscreens I've tried, they all have very high SPFs. They all have really 
nasty textures. They're starting to make some that are a lot lighter, but most of them are the thick sunscreens that you know that um, you slap on at the beach. They smell like the beach. But if you go to Asia, the sunscreens are a lot lighter because a lot of them are meant for daily use on your face. They're meant to be used under makeup. They're meant to be worn to the office. And they also have other sunscreens that are more like those thick um, outdoor sunscreens. So yeah, I think it's really important to check what the sunscreen is meant for before you use it for a particular purpose. And if you are going to use it under very taxing conditions, if you're going to go to the beach with it, if you're doing lots of gardening, if you're going to get sweaty, then look for something water resistant. And if you look at Asian sunscreens, not that many of them are water resistant. So if they're not water resistant and you're sweating, that just means sunscreen is dripping down your face and no longer on your face. Yeah. Mm. But I think the most important thing is really just pick a sunscreen from a brand that you trust. And if it doesn't seem to be working for you, stop using it. Like just trust what you see. If you're getting sunburned despite wearing a sunscreen, just switch sunscreens. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So let's talk about some of those other factors that make for a quality sunscreen versus a scammy sunscreen, so to speak. And let's start with the ratings themselves. I mean, those were sort of put in place to try to make it easier for us as a consumer to understand roughly how long we can stay in the sun and how much it will protect us. So maybe you could just break down like what is an SPF 30, let's say, and what does it mean when you see broad spectrum on the label these days? So SPF is sun protection factor, and it is a measurement of how long it takes to get sunburned. SPF is mostly, not entirely, about UVB protection. Um, The higher the number, the more protection you get, and it's proportional to the number. There is a myth online, which is um, SPF 30 only protects 1% less than SPF 50, and so therefore... You don't need anything above SPF 30. There are a bunch of studies that have come out that don't say that. Yeah, so higher SPF is always better. But of course, there's also user error. If you have a higher SPF sunscreen, most people just don't apply as much because usually they've got less nice textures. So yeah, pick the highest SPF you can that has a texture that means that you can still apply a lot of it without trying to skimp on it. With broad spectrum, this is the other big regulated term on sunscreens, and this is to do with UVA protection. So broad spectrum, depending on which country you're in, it either means there is a lot of protection above 370 nanometers. I'm pretty sure that's the number. Um, That means there's a lot of protection towards the longer wavelength UVA. Longer wavelength UVA doesn't cause burning, but it does cause other types of skin damage and it seems to be quite linked to melanoma along with UVB. That's why this rating came in because they realized you can't just protect against sunburn, you also have to protect against other wavelengths. So in countries apart from the US, so in Australia and in the EU, broad spectrum also means that the UVA protection has to be greater than one third of the SPF number. So the higher the SPF number, the stronger the UVA protection will be if it has the words broad spectrum. So again, we're looking for a bigger number, essentially. In Asia, they have a slightly different system, which is the PA system, and they have a different number of plus signs after it. And if you have four pluses, then it means that it's UVA protection 16 or above. Um, Three is eight, two is four, and 
one is two. Yeah, so basically more pluses is better. Jumping in to let you know about our show partner, Modern Fertility. So I'm a huge believer that knowledge is power when it comes to your own health. And I feel like one of the biggest challenges with women is that we're left in the dark about our own hormones and reproductive health a lot of the time. So that's where Modern Fertility comes in. It's the easy and affordable fertility hormone testing that you can do from the comfort of your own home. Their goal is to help every person with ovaries understand their chances of conception earlier in life. So think of our hormones as tiny detectives. They can bring you a lot of insight into egg count and other things like possible outcomes for egg freezing and for IVF. And even if you're not on a journey to have kids one day, it also helps you understand menopause and PCOS. So how it works, they send you the test in the mail, you do a simple finger prick, and then you mail it back with a prepaid label and you get those personalized results within 10 days. And also if you have HSA or FSA, you can use those dollars on modern fertility. So if you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, you need information to make the best decision for you. So right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners 20% off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash breaking beauty. That means you'll get the test that costs $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands of dollars it could cost at a doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash breaking beauty. That's modernfertility.com slash breaking beauty. And we'll link to that offer in our show notes and on our blog. Now back to today's chat. Okay, Michelle, I need to ask you though about SPF 100 because I remember when it first came out like 10 years ago or something and everyone got really excited. But then every article I ever wrote about sunscreen, it was just like SPF 100 gives you this false sense of security. And, you know, I actually saw online the other day a comment where someone said, such and such a brand is very trustworthy because they have an SPF 100 in their offering, which I think is actually quite terrifying because I'm pretty sure that's not the case. Can you explain? So with numbers above 50 or 60, the SPF measurements actually get less reliable in that test because, I mean, you have to burn people for a lot longer and the longer it goes, basically the more weird stuff can happen. So in Australia, you're not actually allowed to claim SPF 100 for that reason. The results just aren't reliable enough. The highest SPF you can claim is 50 plus, which is greater than 60. And I would agree with that. In terms of having the false sense of security, I think that can definitely happen. I don't think it really happens with skincare nerds because we kind of, it's so ingrained in us to like reapply and apply this much. But with regular people, they generally don't apply as much. There is a study from Neutrogena, though, where they tested SPF 100 against 50, and they gave it to skiers, I think, who applied it themselves, and they did see a difference between them. There is a benefit to SPF 100, but only if you don't get complacent, like you mentioned. Yeah. Okay. And probably going back to the the math you were talking about earlier, it's just it's just not the idea that it's like twice as much coverage as the SPF 50. Right. Yeah. So you can't apply half as much, for example, because basically your skin is bumpy. It's sort of like a not very well baked cake, like a home baked cake, which is bumpy (laughs) on top. And then if you put icing on top, the first place the icing goes is into the crevices. Mm -hmm. And then you have to apply more before you actually cover the little hills. Same idea with skin and sunscreen. If you don't apply enough, then the little hills of your skin are still sticking up. They're not going to get protected. So you still need to apply more. 
In terms of how long you're protected, sunscreen films break down. It's sort of like if you had body paint on yourself, it starts off looking nice, you move around too much, you rub it against things, it starts cracking and coming off. Same idea, um, you have to reapply it regularly to keep it even. So don't think that applying a really high SPF means you never have to reapply um, or you can reapply half as often. It's still going to crack and come off. It's just, I guess, thicker paint at the start. Okay. We're just always looking for these cheats, aren't we? Like we just don't (laughs) want to listen and obey the rules. (laughs) And I feel like, you know, there has been this quest for the perfect texture of sunscreen for so long. And that's why people love Korean sunscreen so much. And, you know, people also, depending on your skin tone, it's really important to have a lightweight sunscreen that is sheer and doesn't look chalky. And I know like just random example last year, I was like over the moon, over the Biosance mineral sunscreen, because it's it's just like a daily moisturizer, the texture. It's so, it's so lovely. But I did wonder going back to this idea Like, how do you know it actually has the SPF that it says, though? And I do wonder, like, is there a correlation between a thicker product consistency? Like, are you getting more protection? Is that one of the kind of like general rules of thumb, for example? And if you have a thinner consistency, are you getting less coverage or it just doesn't work that way? It basically is easier to get higher protection if you have a crapper texture. (laughs) Um, so it takes a lot more effort to get a light textured sunscreen that has Mm -hmm. high protection, but it is doable. I mean, this is partly why it takes so long to make a sunscreen. If you just want to make a sunscreen that feels awful and has high protection, it doesn't take that long. But if you want something really nice, you have to go through a lot of rounds of like making and testing. I guess the short answer is if you do really need high protection, make sure you get a brand that you trust and maybe the texture is probably not going to be so good. If you have a light textured sunscreen, it can very well have a high protection, but I guess part of it is also just the lighter the sunscreen, the less well it stays on your skin. So if something stays well on your skin, a lot of the time you'll be able to feel it because all of those film formers and that thick base that keeps everything in place That's not Mm -hmm. going to feel very nice. But yeah, there are ways around it. In particular with Japanese sunscreens, there's been some really cool innovations there that have allowed sunscreens to be water resistant, even though they feel very, very light. Mm. Do you have an example of one of those that you have tried? Yeah, one of them that I really like is the Shiseido um, Anessa. Mm -hmm. I think it's called the Perfect UV Milk. Yes, Mm -hmm. It's in a gold bottle. There is also another version that's in a light gold bottle that is not nice at all. So don't fall for that. (laughs) They look almost the same. But yeah, that one's got high water resistance and it feels very light. And the problem, of course, is that it costs an arm and a leg. So yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> our trade-off. Yeah, okay. There's always a trade-off somewhere. We'll link to it on our blog, guys. Don't worry. Yeah, the right one. Totally. <laughs> Going back to the texture question, what about spray-on sunscreens? Because I know this past December, the Cancer Council in Australia issued a statement saying to avoid them. Are they helpful at all? Or what's your opinion on that? So one of the big issues with an aerosol sunscreen is that it has propellant in it. So that's the stuff that pushes the sunscreen out when you hold down the nozzle. With those ones, the problem is the SPF rating is for the stuff before they mix the propellant. When it comes out of the can, it comes out with propellant. And so the propellant can be like 30% of the product. Mm -hmm. So when you're applying it, 
it looks like you're applying a lot, but in reality, most of it is propellant and it's, or not most of it, but a lot of it is propellant and that's just going to evaporate off. So yeah, that's the big reason for the warning against aerosol sunscreens. The other thing is just inhalation. So inhaling stuff is often not great for you. It can get deep inside your lungs and it can absorb into your blood more easily because you've got a lot of lung surface area. Yeah. So I think if you are using a spray sunscreen, avoid the aerosol ones. Um, So get the ones that like you have to keep pressing the pump for more of it to come out and make sure you apply enough. It's harder to apply enough with an aerosol sunscreen and hold your breath. Right. I do think they're good for reapplying over stuff sometimes. Mm -hmm. It really depends on the spray as well. Um, So if you can get one that sprays like a nice even film and you don't end up with a whole bunch of dots on your face, then (laughs) it could be good for Mm reapplication. If you're doing it as a first application, though, I would put it out onto my hand and then apply it so I can see how much I'm applying. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we want to talk about filters themselves. So I'm really curious about label reading when it comes to sunscreens. If we're looking at a sunscreen label and say, for instance, it has like 3% tinosorb and 12% zinc, should we be looking for a concentration of ingredients or filter names themselves? How can we read one, you know, wearing our lab muffin lenses? (laughs) So one of the things with percentages, and everyone hates on me so much when I say this, is unfortunately, it doesn't tell you the whole story. It's so annoying because it's one of the few quantitative things we have on a label that we can cling to. But unfortunately, yeah, the rest of the formula makes a massive difference, which is why it takes so long to make a sunscreen, Mm -hmm. which is why it takes like years, months, because if it was just about that percentage, then it would be very easy. You put in the right percentage, you mix it up and you get a good sunscreen. So unfortunately, the best thing to look at is still that SPF label because that tests the final formula on actual human skin. A quick break to discuss StoryWorth, one of our new show partners. So Mother's Day is right around the corner. And if you're stumped for a gift idea, I've got a great one for you. And that's StoryWorth. So StoryWorth is an online service that helps your mom, your grandmother, mother-in-law, your aunt, whoever is a mother figure in your life and is special to you. It allows them to share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. It's honestly a fun way to engage with them, especially these days when we often haven't seen our loved ones in quite some time. And it's a gift that the whole family can cherish forever. And, you know, I think it makes me a shoo-in to be mom's favorite. Just saying. So every single week, how it works, StoryWorth emails your mom a different prompt question that most likely you never thought to ask. So for instance, I gifted StoryWorth to my mom a few months ago on her birthday. And one of the first questions I asked her was, what was the most memorable birthday gift you ever got as a kid? And she said ice skates. And she said she was the only one in her neighborhood with brand new skates. And I just thought that was the cutest thing ever. And and would never have known that without StoryWorth, honestly. And you can also, of course, ask them, you know, what's the best advice they've ever gotten. StoryWorth has tons of prompts to get you started if you're stumped. So I just love this idea that every week they're sending these emails. So it's very digestible and it's really a powerful experience because at the end of the year, StoryWorth will compile all of your mom's stories, including any photos that she may submit into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped 
for free. So how great is that? So give your mom the most meaningful gift this Mother's Day with StoryWorth. Get started right away. There's no shipping required. So it's great for last minute gift giving by going to storyworth.com slash beauty. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. Once again, that's storyworth.com slash beauty for $10 off. We'll link to that offer in our show notes and on our blog. Now back to the show. So we want to ask you about a question that we've been getting a lot. And this goes back to last summer, what was hitting the news. So the FDA had issued a statement that they had found that six common chemical filters were present in the bloodstream after one application, oxybenzone in particular, was a standout. And I know that some people in the media, like Dr. Dennis Gross, had said, like, we should halt using chemical sunscreens until we can prove that they are safe. He didn't say they're dangerous, but until we can prove that it's fine that they're in the bloodstream, we should halt that. So a lot of people have been confused. And I'm wondering if there's been any updates on those studies and what your opinion is on that. I think one of the important things with the studies is that in the study and with the FDA, they both came out and said, these results do not mean that you should stop using sunscreens or that you should switch sunscreens. They were very specific about that. Of course, none of the media picked that up, but... Um, <laughs> Not a good headline, Michelle. Boring. It was literally in the study. <laughs> it was like typed out. These findings do not mean that you should necessarily switch sunscreens. Like, yeah, it was so blatant. So yeah, I would agree with that. And one of the reasons I agree with that, apart from the fact that they said it, is also because in Europe, they actually use the same filters at the same concentrations. Like almost all of these sunscreen regulations are almost completely identical. And in Europe, they've always looked at absorption. So the FDA studies, it sounds like from the studies that this was the first time anyone had realized they soak into the bloodstream. That's not the case. There's been lots of studies before that found that they did. Um, but the FDA likes to do their own studies for everything. So they didn't really even refer back to those studies in their own um, publication. But yeah, in Europe, they've been looking at this for a lot longer. In Europe, they also revise their decisions a lot faster. So they have an official government panel, which is the SCCS, and they review cosmetic ingredients all the time. Um, so they actually released a few on sunscreen filters I think it was the start of February this year. So yeah, they've been um, assessing the evidence regularly and they've come up with the same concentrations. So it seems like the FDA's regulations are still good. So yeah. Okay. And what about the brand itself? So if you're looking for, you know, again, a sunscreen that you can trust that does what it says on the label, are there certain brands maybe to look for and others that you would avoid? I think... The safest thing to do is to go for big brands who are more likely to get picked up by authorities, like by regulators. So that might be a mega brand like Neutrogena and Johnson Johnson, like they're big enough that regulators are looking out for them. Plus they're also big enough that they have like a big sunscreen department, which might be probably is bigger than like the entire, like a smaller sunscreen brand. Right. So yeah, a big brand that will get picked up. And that could get sued. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They've got those R&D monies. They've got those lawyer monies. Yeah. And then I know you mentioned earlier the consumer reports. And I know we were consulting those last year, too. And that's when we first started picking up on this idea that we're like, oh, there's all these sunscreens that maybe 
they don't have the SPF rating that's on the label. I know the one there's consumerreport.org, but it's also behind a paywall. Mm. And also when I was able to access it, like all of these cool indie brands that are coming up like Everyday Humans, and I don't even think Supergoop was on there. It seemed to be, it was just like the more the mainstream, like Hawaiian Tropic and stuff. So I just wondered if you had any other resources in terms of like reports people could consult or to your point from earlier, you know, when they are tricky to even read into those findings, like, is that even a useful tool? It's really hard to say. I think, yeah, there are just so many factors you can look at and they all kind of contribute to finding a sunscreen that will actually have the SPF on the label. Yeah, so that would be one of the many factors, I think, that you'd have to consider um, whether or not they've been tested by a consumer brand. If they've been tested by one of these consumer organizations, then I guess the SPF is going to be more reliable. But I guess even then, it's not that great an indication because a lot of the time, if they have been picked up by one of those reports, the company is going to look into it and reformulate it. And then, yeah, five years down the line, it'll be fine. So we want to get into specifics, Michelle. So let's talk about some of your more trustworthy personal picks for sunscreen, if you don't mind. And we have requests from our listeners. So maybe you can help fill in these blanks. So first of all, we have a facial sunscreen that you'd recommend for being outside and doing a lot of activity in the Texas heat. So like non-chalky, non-greasy. One of the problems with living in Australia is that most of my sunscreen recommendations are going to be Australian because they're so much easier (laughs) to get here and our regulations are really strict. Right. So it's something that's available in Texas. I would probably go with, is the La Roche-Posay one water resistant? There are options that are. I think of the U.S., my top picks would probably be Neutrogena and La Roche-Posay. Okay. Because, yeah, they're big brands. They invest a lot in sunscreen research. Neutrogena have published a whole bunch of sunscreen papers, like in the peer-reviewed literature. La Roche-Posay also have access to a particular filter, one of the newer ones, that isn't available to other brands in the U.S. So, yeah, every other brand in the U.S., they're stuck with all the old filters. And then I think a bunch of L'Oreal brands have the new filters. So yeah, La Roche-Posay is a really good pick. Okay, Okay. great. Could we ask you about a pick that, even if it's just available in Australia, anyone that you found a best sunscreen for dark skin tones that you have seen that other people have loved or that you personally love that you don't think leaves that white cast? There are a lot in Australia. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because so many people are tanned, but yeah, Cancer Council has a bunch that are really good and really cheap. Mm -hmm. There's a brand called Ultraviolet, which I absolutely love. They're very um, trendy and they're made by two people who used to work for some of the really big retailers in Australia. So they helped them make their sunscreen and they went off and made their own um, wardrobe of sunscreens and they have beautiful textures, a bit on the pricey side, but it's the sort of thing where you really enjoy wearing it. Like you feel wrong without it on, which I think is what we're all really aiming for with sunscreens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I follow them on Instagram. I can't wait till they import to North America. So that's great. Great to know. One listener wanted to know if you had a recommendation for sunscreen for eczema prone skin. I guess it really depends. If you're in the US, then I think zinc oxide is probably the safest choice. So some sort of zinc oxide sunscreen. Um, I think Elta MD has one that's quite popular. Mm -hmm. But if you aren't allergic to common filters, then I think those are fine as well, whichever one works best for you. 
Okay, so we've got all the tools to know how to shop for sunscreen, but we can't let you go without talking about a few of the ways we might be self-sabotaging the efficacy of our own sunscreen. And of course, who can forget Gwyneth on her Vogue video, you know, where she's like, I'm just going to apply it where the sun hits. I didn't even click on the video, but I I saw enough rage online that I know what happened. Mm -hmm. And so let's get it on the record. How much sunscreen should we be applying to our face to achieve that SPF rating that's on the label? So I've heard two finger lengths. What's what's your method? So I usually measure out a quarter teaspoon into like one of those little baking spoons. That is like the blanket amount that people tell you for just face. Mm -hmm. In Australia, if you do, I think it's face, neck and ears, the official recommendation is half a teaspoon. Um, So this isn't just like a teaspoon you get for, I don't know, drinking tea. It's like the baking teaspoons Mm -hmm. that are like calibrated to a particular volume. So very roughly, if you do squeeze out two finger lengths, I think that's a much more convenient method. What you can do is like squeeze out two finger lengths and then get a little teaspoon and like scrape it off into that and see if you're getting about a quarter teaspoon. And then once that's done, then just do two finger lengths after that. Right. Okay. It's not like two really skinny finger lengths either. I see people doing yeah. really skinny ones. They've got to be, you know, <laughs> decent, decent size, maybe not slugs, but like earthworms. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Totally. Two earthworms. All right. I'll remember that. The rest of the body, they say two golf ball size, right? Yeah. So in Australia, usually they recommend um, one shot glass because mm-hmm. I guess we we like mm-hmm. drinking um, and we <laughs> just have a shot glass handy. Yeah. There's another uh, measurement, which is like, I think um, half a teaspoon for each limb and half a teaspoon for the front of your body and half a teaspoon for the back of your body. Okay. Only a teaspoon. I think it's actually half, but it's like, again, it's like the official teaspoon. Right. Okay. 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 Got it. And then we had a lot of questions about the order to apply sunscreen because like we had one person talking about what if I put face oil on after my sunscreen, another person wanted to know how long to wait after applying sunscreen to put on your makeup. And then somebody else wanted to know how to apply SPF in conjunction with bug spray, which I thought was a good question with cottage season coming. So yeah, maybe you have some tips on like the order of putting on sunscreen. Yeah. So I can't sugarcoat this. If you put anything before or after sunscreen, you are going to risk compromising the sunscreen film. Um, So sunscreen is tested on bare skin. Nothing goes on top, nothing goes underneath. But of course we live in the real world. Um, (laughs) Sometimes we don't want to go out without makeup. So basically it's just disturb it as little as possible. If you're putting stuff on underneath, make sure it's not really, really thick. So you don't want like a really thick layer of oil, although a little bit of oil is probably not going to make a big difference. It's better to put stuff on underneath than on top. Um, Mm -hmm. It seems there's only been like one study on this, but it seems to be pointing that way. In terms of putting makeup on top, yeah, just try to be as gentle as possible and not disturb the film as much. Mm -hmm. So bug spray, I think on top of the sunscreen makes the most sense because then it's, you know, it can evaporate and get the bugs because the bugs are on the outside. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And also waiting after applying sunscreen to do anything else to it seems to help. So there are studies where they um, looked at people applying sunscreen and then putting on a shirt. And if you wait about eight minutes, I think, for that particular sunscreen, it disturbs it less. So it lets the sunscreen dry down to a nice film so it doesn't get rubbed off as easily. So Mm. if you're Mm -hmm. like shirts versus brushes, obviously there's a difference, but it seems like just waiting long enough for it to dry down is a good idea. Put sunscreen on your face, go off, get dressed, 
um, come back, apply makeup would probably be a practical way of doing that. Okay, great tip. What about the touch-ups? With touch-ups, the best thing to do, if you are getting a ton of sun, then I would recommend just not wearing much makeup, just get a tinted sunscreen or Mm -hmm. yeah, just wear a tiny bit of blush or something and then just reapply properly. Just dump out like a proper quarter teaspoon or two finger lengths and put that on. If you're getting like a moderate amount of sun where you don't care as much about getting full protection, then I recommend getting a sponge and dabbing on the sunscreen. So there are these little cotton puffs. It's a great hack. Yeah, there are these tiny little cotton puffs that I love for that. These are in like cushion foundations from mm-hmm. Asia. They're so thin mm-hmm. and they're thin enough that they don't absorb a lot of product, which is important because if it's going into your sponge, it's not going on your face. Also sprays. I really don't like powders. Um, I'm really not convinced by the evidence on powders giving you any sort of decent amount of protection. Hmm. You have to apply for ages and I'm not convinced it stays on the skin. (laughs) There's also the inhalation thing you were talking about before. Yeah, there's been powder sunscreen companies who have submitted to the FDA about including powders in the sunscreen monograph so that they can also be counted as over-the-counter drugs. And that hasn't worked. And I've looked at the data and I can see why it didn't work. It's not very convincing data. So yeah, powder sunscreens, maybe as a touch-up if you're not getting very much sun at all. Mm. They're also really expensive as well most of the time. So I think they're just not a very practical option. So Michelle, we know that you are a skincare buff. Your knowledge goes way beyond sunscreen. So tell us if there's anything else we could be doing within our skincare routine that could be sabotaging our SPF efficacy or improving it. For example, we've often heard that vitamin C improves the sunscreen efficacy. And then someone in our Facebook chat room said that they heard it's the opposite. Maybe you can help give us some parting advice on making sure our sunscreen is living its best life this summer. With the sunscreen itself, I guess you can't really improve it apart from like doing all those things we said before, putting on enough, reapplying regularly, all of that stuff, not putting too much stuff on top or underneath the sunscreen. Um, But there are other things that also have sunscreen-like effects, which is where the vitamin C comes in. So antioxidants also absorb free radicals and those free radicals can lead to sun damage. So if you have antioxidants there, then it sort of helps the sunscreen do its job. It also does a bit of a sunscreening job. So vitamin C is one of those. So it's not true that vitamin C works against sunscreen. If anything, it works with the sunscreen towards that same reduction of skin damage. So yeah, vitamin C is definitely good both morning and night. Other antioxidants are less well-researched, but they should hopefully do something similar, um, even if it's not as strong an effect. So yeah, antioxidants are always good. Things you might be sabotaging, if you're mixing anything with your sunscreen, like if you're mixing it on your hand before you apply, then that could disturb the film. So don't do that. If anything, layer it on. My final question, I'm going to let you go because we're talking about what else you can do. What's your take on UPF clothing? Has it come a long way? Still stuck in the dark ages. I have a shirt. I wear it. I don't know if it's doing anything. I love UPF clothing. It doesn't wear off. That's the main thing. Um, Unlike a sunscreen, you just put it on and you're done. And it means you don't have to like do all the awkward like dancing and reapplying on your back and stuff if you have UPF Mm. clothing. So big fan of UPF clothing, but a lot of clothing will give UV protection even if it's not UPF labeled. The things you generally are looking for are if it's darker, it tends to protect better if it has a closer knit as well. Like if you hold it up against the light and you can't see much light coming out through it, then it's going to be better protection. 
Um, but yeah, clothing, um, hats, sunglasses, just staying in the shade, all of these are super important. It's a lot easier to work out if they work compared to sunscreen as well. There's so much user error with sunscreen. I generally much prefer the other ways of sun protection if I am getting a lot of sun. So yeah, big fan of UPF clothing. Okay. Thank you. I feel like I've pestered you enough now, Michelle. <laughs> thank you so much for it was a all pleasure. your insight. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. You can find details on every product mentioned in today's episode, along with our exclusive promo codes on our blog at breakingbeautypodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Every episode will be delivered directly to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And get social with us. Let us know what you think of the episode. You can follow us on Instagram at breakingbeautypodcast. And did you know we also have a private Facebook group? Just search Breaking Beauty Podcast chat room. You can even leave us a voicemail at any time with questions or feedback at 1-844-227-0302. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast fix. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, where you can show us some love by writing a review. See you next Wednesday.